You're listening to Rosie on the House. And a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning to you all. It is 8 o'clock. It's the fourth Saturday of the month. It is Farmer Greg's turn to come in and help get us motivated to urban farm uh, on our properties. It's a way, a concept of transforming our properties into edible landscapes, becoming food uh, independent, food sustainable. Really uh, important. Really, really good word here. Regenerative, regenerative, regenerative gardening. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so I think the most important thing that anybody can do right now is to learn where your food comes from and how to grow it because it's and and that can change i mean look at this spring we've had here in arizona it can the highs the lows the ups yep. the deaths i mean you want to talk about hardness on food and we're this is the outdoor living hour and vegetables and gardens I mean, you know how hard this weather is on animals and what that can oh, do to yes. keep your egg production consistent your milking production consistent uh your beef production consistent these ups and downs are very hard on animals unless oh, yeah. you've got them like us in a quality controlled home. <laughs> how, how many of your animals are in a quality controlled home? You mean you, climate do, control? Do you? Sure, yes. But, I'm sorry. Yeah, what did right. I say? Quality control, quality climate been, control. Yeah, but well, did, there's a whole lot. Do you bring your of... chickens in with you at night at bedtime? <laughs> Not, no. <laughs> However, we do uh, insulate, outsulate the uh, chicken coop, especially on the colder nights. We take uh, old uh, shower curtains and hang them on the outside to reduce the amount of wind blowing through there. Mm-hmm. So we do some of that. And then we, on Craigslist about two years ago, we found an old evaporative cooler. So we have an old master cool evaporative cooler that uh, cools them off for most of the nice. season. Nice. Yeah. Really important. Yeah, I would think a patio pal might be a bit too much for the chickens. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's for human use. <laughs> so I yes. want to go back to something here real quick. The, there's a really important statistic out there and this is there's been some research done on this and that is that we have a three-day supply of food in any urban area in the grocery stores and i actually contend that we only have about a three-hour supply because if something were to happen you know the grocery store shelves are going to empty real quickly now i'm not talking about end of the world stuff here i'm talking about a power outage tornadoes in uh alabama yep or uh when they hit Joplin, uh, hurricanes yep. in the Gulf Coast in yep. Louisiana. Exactly. We are very blessed to be in a uh, market, a, a, a state that we are not susceptible to a lot of those. Yep. But there's still trucker strikes. There's still power outages. There. A friend of mine lived through a three-day power outage in San Diego County in 2014. He said that was interesting. <laughs> so, you know, really having a sense of where our food comes from and how to grow our own is, is, in my humble opinion, one of the most important things that we can be doing right now. And that's why we're here. Yay. Talking regenerative gardening. Yes, yes, absolutely. And you also mentioned uh, food forest. That's uh, one of the things that I love to do is converting my landscape and other people's landscapes into edible. It makes no sense whatsoever to me that we grow things that you can't eat. (laughs) So that's what I coach people to do. Plant, you know, plant systems in your yard that people can come and see 
so that they can start doing it themselves. And we'll, in, in April, we'll have some tours. April and May, we have tours of the urban farm. People can find out about them at urbanfarm.org. And you can actually come and see my edible landscape, which, by the way, is 30 years old this year. Congratulations. I've been there for 30 years, yes, at the urban farm. I think we talked a little bit about decades at the urban farm last month. And when you see this, if you go on this tour, just understand that some of these things you're seeing may take 30 years to get to. But others won't. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's probably not going to take 30 years. In fact, people ask me that, how long it would take. And I would say if I was starting with a brand new project, edible landscaping project, I would say from start to having it being nice and mature, we're talking five years. Hmm. Uh, you know, and people get a little overwhelmed when they come on my tours. And I, I promise them. I say, listen, here's the deal. Take a deep breath. Pick one or two things. And do them and be successful at them. Because what you're seeing here at the Urban Farm, it has happened over the past 30 years. And it it takes time. So just, you know, take a deep breath and plant a fruit tree. Start your garden. Plant your fall garden or spring garden. And, you know, one little step at a time. And starting with that step, where do we start when we're getting our garden going? When we're looking at uh, how big is the Urban Farm? A third of an acre. A third of an acre. So uh, I don't have any details. I'd say a lot of lot sizes are probably like that. The difference between your home and newer homes is homes that you may have a 3,000 square foot, 5,000 square foot home on a third of an acre. Right. Versus, you know, how we used to do it 30, 40, 50 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's actually a lot of times there's a three or 4,000 square foot house on a 5,000 square foot property. <laughs> Pro yeah, exactly. So, and that's when it gets challenging and you, you know, so what I'm going to share with you next are the uh, top two or three things that you need to do to know about in order to adequately place your garden. Because the first thing that'll kill your garden, have it be a non-starter is where you put it. We call this your microclimate and the solar aspect of your microclimate. So microclimates in your yard are places that are warmer or cooler. So what might make a yard warmer or cooler? Shade. Shade, absolutely. Block walls, concrete, um, grass. So you need to start paying attention to those things that make your space warmer or cooler. The other thing that makes it warmer or cooler is what we call solar aspect. And the solar aspect of where your garden goes is essentially what direction does it face. So if you have a block wall and you stand with your back up against that block wall and look in a direction, what direction are you looking? So the particular one that I'm thinking about at the urban farm is on the east side of my backyard, but when my back is against it, I'm looking west. So that is a western solar exposure. A western solar exposure gets sun from noon until sundown. How hot do you suppose that'll be, especially in the summertime? You should noon see to face. sundown. You're you're pushing eight hours there and yeah, easily. peak of the summer solstice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's super hot. So if you want to grow a spring and summer garden, putting it on a western exposure probably isn't going to be all that great. However, if you stand against that wall and you're looking east, that's an eastern exposure. Eastern exposures get sun from sunup until noon. 
and it's going to be a cooler microclimate. Plus, after about 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, it's probably going to start being in the shade. So a spring and summertime garden is great on an eastern exposure. And then another, the, the next place that we need to look is northern exposure. Northern exposure, again, if I stand with my back against the wall, what direction am I looking? If you are doing a northern exposure garden, that's on the north side of your house. You're barely going to get any sunlight over there. It's the hardest place to grow. It's even harder to grow there than it is on a western exposure. We can do things like create shade, grow shade, put up shade on a western exposure, but if you don't have any sun because of where the sun's at in the sky during the winter and summer, you're not going to be able to grow much. So if you have a northern-facing patio in your condo, probably not going to be able to grow a whole lot there. If you have a western-facing exposure patio on your condo, that's going to be a hard place to grow from about April 1st on. But if you plant a garden in pots or in, in containers or in the ground, if you plant a garden in October, that's probably going to be a really great place to grow from October to you know April or May. Because you in the winter, we want that warmer microclimate. So these are just some of the things that you need to think about when pl actually placing your garden. And wherever you're standing when we're looking, uh, you know, we're back against the wall and we're looking in the sky and where's mm -hmm. the sun directional, where it is in the summer is not where it is in the winter. There's a 13 degree, I, I believe it's 13 degrees travel difference from uh, where the sun sets in the summertime to right. the winter and then coming back to that area in the summertime. So the when mapping all of this, mm -hmm. what time of the year are you planting? Because really you may not think about it, but 13 degrees is pretty significant oh, when yeah. we're talking sunlight. And your neighbor's shade tree could <laughs> completely affect something you... Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So here's the here's what I tell people to do. We, we all have smartphones, or most of us have smartphones these days. Set your smartphone for December 21st at noon to give you an alert. And for June 21st, the summer and winter solstice. It's your extremes. And go look where the sun is at in the sky on those days. Uh, in the winter, it's going to be low in the sky, directly south. In the summer, you're going to pretty much be looking straight up at the sun. So that, that gives you a clue as well. That's, that's an assignment that you can do. Uh, and that'll help give you an idea of where you're, where it's going to be warmer or cool in your space. And aside from even that is put, put a stake in the ground and measure your shadow distance. Exactly. So you can then calculate your neighbor's shade tree. Mm -hmm. And, all right, it's this tall, so at this time of year, here's how long the shadow is going to be. Yep. And the summertime, it's not an issue. But there are still those points in the summer where... All bets are off when it's 120 degrees. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, and one of the things that I discovered talking about 120 degrees, one of the things that I discovered, and you would think that I would have discovered this a long time ago, uh, but it, you know, it just goes to the observation, observation piece uh, is how hot is your soil in August midday? So maybe we'll talk about that mm. after the break. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> I don't think about how hot anything is in August. But you know what? It's what we live in. And it is. being able to 
match with where we live with what we can grow and eat and consume for our own food supply. Yep. That's what this Saturday broadcast is for with Farmer Greg here at Rosie on the House. You can get more information and sign up for a farm uh, urban tour. farm tour at urbanfarm.org. Urbanfarm.org on the front page. Something bugging you this spring? Well, we've had a wet winter. We've got plenty of weeds. We've got plenty of insects. And we've got plenty of Bonide products to help you stay bug-free. Whether it's something that's crawling around in your shrubbery, it's something in your lawn, flower beds, vegetable gardens, Bonide has the answer with their line of eight products. Eight insect controls most common home, lawn, garden insects problems and is effective up to over 100 different types of insects that destroy trees, shrubs, lawn, flower, vegetable. Eight to eliminate ticks, fleas, ants, whatever's invading your home or garden, but not all eight is made the same. There's eight garden and home. There's eight garden dust. There's eight vegetable, fruit, and flower concentrate. There's eight yard and garden RTS. Lots of applications, so know what you're fighting. Pick up the right eight product for your home at Mesquite Valley Growers in Tucson, Summer Winds in Mesa, or Treeland in Mesa. That's eight to eliminate from Bonide, family made in America. Right in the middle of a conversation about soil temperatures and what that can do for uh, you've said this before. You're not really a a, a plant grower. You're a <laughs> soil tender. Soil tender for root growth that mm-hmm. is really what creates your plant growth. So yeah, doing your soil tending when it's pretty hot is pretty hard. It it, it is it is. And so last summer, you know, I, you know those little uh, things that you point at the ground and it gives you the temperature at the soil a level. Gun. Yeah. On a whim, I was at a at uh, Barry's True Value Hardware, I think, over on 12th Street in Northern, and I picked one up and I took it home. It was August midday last year, and I pointed it at the ground, and it was 140 degrees at ground level. And I dug a hole six inches down. It was 120 degrees six inches down. That's enough to kill pretty much everything and anything. But interestingly enough, I have sweet potatoes that grow wild in the front yard at the urban farm. In that same area, underneath the sweet potatoes, it was only 89 degrees. So basically what we've done is we've planted a cover crop that is shading the ground and keeping it cool. So what, I, what I've what i been suggesting for people for all of their fruit trees and really for your gardens this year is we need to plant a cover crop and shade the ground. Cow peas is one of the, one of the things that do really great. It's a nitrogen fixer. That means that as it grows, it's going to pull nitrogen out of the soil and out of the air and make it available in the mulch later on uh, as it decomposes around the base of your trees. Uh, and then sweet potatoes. And sweet potatoes are, you know, they grow voraciously here. And the, the sweet potatoes and the cow peas are on the same watering system as your fruit trees. So, so I'm thinking sweet potato pie, probably <laughs> sweet potato potato chips. There you go. Oh, homemade. Mm. Yeah. And you see. And people ask me, do you actually harvest sweet potatoes? It's like, heck yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You bet we do. Pop them in the oven, a little butter, sugar. Yeah. Mm. There you go. You're eating good in the neighborhood. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, and, and you know, really what I'm trying to encourage people to do is just have food growing in your yard you know we we eat out of the yard at the urban farm every single day there's we're eating something whether it's eggs from the chickens right this time of year we're harvesting you know the winter crops are kind of wrapping up but we got lots of lettuces and kale 
and nasturtiums, which are edible flowers, and the basils are just starting to come on. I've got spinach growing. Uh, you know, these are all things that just happen to be growing in my yard. And, you know, we'll talk about this in segment four, about what kind of plants, what kind of seeds to plant that basically I just let them go to seed in my yard and then they plant themselves out in further years so that this part of the food forest, they just come back year after year after year. I got a tomato plant on the back patio that it just popped up, you know, so it's it's just the way that it happens. And, you know, this brings in a, <laughs> a level we've never talked about, Farmery, is identifying your plants because most people something they didn't plant that popped up that's a weed and ripped it out and ripped it out <laughs> don't do that oh my gosh so a few years ago i before i really knew what fennel looked like um you know the, i had some fennel growing uh, and then i figured out that it was fennel and i dug it up don't dig up fennel. So cut it off it? <laughs> it's a root well fennel is you know fennel's those fennel bulbs so it's nice fennel. it's kind of tastes uh um, mint. Uh, Ooh, mint. You got me with no, mint. Not, not mint. Um, uh, licorice. It's a licorice yeah, tasting That's herb. What I was thinking of. Um, but if you leave that in the ground and just cut off the bulb, the roots keep growing, and they'll grow more bu- more bulbs. It's really, it's really quite cool. Very cool. But I don't want to lose track of talking about the heat and the cool. So we talked about the heat in the summertime. Let's talk about the cool. Finally got a little bit of that frost. Winter. There was a couple mornings where I, it was a couple minutes of waiting up for the defroster to clear the windshield before I got on the road. Yes, exactly. <laughs> One time I didn't have the luxury of waiting, so I'm driving Tinley to the bus stop on a below 32 morning with oh my, my head gosh. out the window. I, would have, I don't have time to drive her all the way to school. Our, we're, we're 23 miles from bus stop to school. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, you're you're... Oh, over an hour delayed to the work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something out of Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Hey. But, you know, we've had, and we even had snow in most parts of the valley back yes. in February. Yes. Back in February. So I, I'm 52 years here in Phoenix. I'm 30 years at the urban farm. I am so sick and tired of the cold this winter. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd much rather it be 100 you, degrees than You than wanted it to kill degrees. off the insects, and now you got it, and you're tired of it. <laughs> exactly. And we'll see, But that's the thing. So last year, 2017-2018 winter, we didn't get enough chill hours. In fact, we had negative chill hours for our fruit trees. That means our deciduous trees, our peaches, apricots, plums, apples, we didn't get enough cold in order for them to set fruit. And, you know, our peach production was way down. Our apricot production was way down. We've gotten so much cold this year that even if you have high chill things in your yard that you're experimenting with, you're likely going to get some fruit off of them, which is really, really cool. But you're right. The other piece of it is is that it's killing bugs. It's killing mosquitoes. It's killing roaches. It's killing rats, you know, when it gets so cold like this. So I do appreciate the cold. I'm just tired um, of it. <laughs> it can go on about its business. It can. Leave absolutely. us in the desert Arizona alone. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we have a lot to talk about here with uh, Farmer Greg and our regenerative gardening concept. I'm going to make you stand up, and you're going to start the next segment with your back to me so I can read your shirt. It, All right, cool. It, it, we got to share it on air. It's great. All right. The front <laughs> I, says, I'm an urban farmer. Yeah, there you go.
halfway through our hour here with uh, Farmer Greg. I need you to stand up and turn around. Dun, 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 dun. I am a regenerative thinking, permaculture planning, life giving, compost making, soil feeding, plant breeding, fruit treeing, seed saving, food sharing, urban farmer. I'm an urbanfarmer.com. Yes. <laughs> That's one of the shirts we put together this last year. Uh, that's fun. I bet you, all, you guys had a lot of fun putting that together. Oh, yeah, that was fun. You know, the front says, I'm an urban farmer, and it, it's really encouraging people to think about where their food comes from, like we talked about in the first segment, and do something about it, even if you're just growing one thing, one or two things. I tell people this all the time. The simplest thing to grow and the most expensive thing to buy are herbs. <laughs> I was at the grocery store the other day, and this girl was paying $3.99 for what probably would turn out to be about an ounce and a half of fresh basil. That's some expense. And basil grows wild in my yard because I have a regenerative yard. Should did, we talk about that? Did you tell her that? Did you stop her? I did, or did not. you just kind of sit there and I shake did your not. head? And, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if you want fresh basil, that's what we got unless you, you know, plant your own. So you had mentioned if you're going to do one thing, herbs for economy. But there's a stacking functions that you have that even if you're growing one thing mm -hmm. you can still stack functions you can stack functions in just about anything if you're if you try yeah and i love that concept because it doesn't it, it takes us out of the the mindset that this is solving one thing no this one thing is going to provide us two three four things down the road or right. make this other job mm -hmm. easier yeah and this this uh really also points at this whole notion of regenerative gardening, farming that you've mentioned a couple of times, and food forest. Uh, stacking functions, the concept is, is that you have one asset and it does multiple things. So an asset in your yard can be a tree. So the trees in my yard, say the apple trees, they give a shade. They give us leaves for mulch in the wintertime. They give us apples in the summertime. They cool the space. So that one asset, that one fruit tree is providing all of those things. Chickens. I am a believer that if you have a backyard, you should have three to five hens in your backyard. Because this is what chickens will do for you. Hens will do for you. They eat bugs. They eat weeds. They're gnarly diggers, man. They dig as well as dogs do. Uh, they poop. So you're getting, you <laughs> yeah, know, we Fresh fertilizer. We had Jay in last Saturday yep, talking exactly. about that. All <laughs> natural fertilizer. Exactly. <laughs> and plus, they give you eggs every day. You know, remember I said earlier in the show today, we eat out of our yard every day. And one of the things that is a constant for us here at the Urban Farm is eggs. Stacking functions is one of the things that I use at the Urban Farm to help me have it be regenerative. So let me explain regenerative a little bit. Basically, what it means is that I put systems in place that recreate themselves year after year so I don't have to. And at any given moment, there's food growing in the yard that I didn't plant this year. In fact, the parsley and the basil, the nasturtiums, lettuce, garlic, onions, that's just off of the top of my head, things that I can think about that just grow in the soil at the urban farm. They just come back year after year after year. I make sure that when I plant them, I plant the right kinds of seeds, which we'll talk about in the last segment. And 
Then I nurture the soil underneath them, which I think that's where we're going next, because you mentioned in, in an earlier segment today that our jobs as urban farmers is to create healthy soil. Okay, I might have mentioned it. I was repeating something I heard from you. Well, there you go. <laughs> so our Don't jobs, give me the credit here. <laughs> our jobs as growers and as urban farmers is to grow healthy soil, because if you have healthy soil, it's nutrient-dense, it's got a lot of life in it, and it's having your plants thrive. Not even just food uh, consumption, but just just the physical movement and oh, getting uh, out there and prepping the soil, yeah, and like, yeah, and well, and coming back and weeding, coming back and harvesting, coming back and watering, you know, all those physical movements that you know otherwise, you know, wh- wh- where are you going to make up for those if you're not doing this? And, yeah, I mean, how how often are you running? <laughs> yeah, once a week maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you got me beat. So really, this goes to the bottom line for me of why I do what I do. I believe that there are three things in our culture that cause 100% of the disease. Okay. And you have control of all three of them. And if you're gardening, you're touching on all three of them. And I've talked to medical doctors about this. I've talked to nutritionists about this. So those three things are lack of nutrition in our food, environmental toxins, and stress. And you were just referring to, you know, get out in your yard and put your hands in the soil. There is research that shows when you get your hands in the soil, it's stress relieving. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're growing organically, on and, your... and anyone that's done it will tell you that. Oh yeah, I mean, that you don't need a science survey to that, and we're not <laughs> changing this into a medical program. I mean, no, not I at think, all. I I don't think there's anybody that's listening. You said it's a bold statement. If you disagree with that, I'd actually kind of be curious to hear your viewpoint because yeah, exactly, these seem like very common sense observations. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So lack of nutrition in our food. If you're gardening and you're doing it organically, you're creating healthy soil under your plants. Your plants are more nutrient dense. Environmental toxins grow organically. By not putting those environmental toxins in your environment, you're healthier and then, you know, you're relieving stress. So um, that's my contention. And that's the that's really the bottom line for why I like teaching people to do this is because you're just going to be healthier. Plus, it's fun to get out and garden. And if you're gardening with your kids or your grandkids, anything that they grow, they're going to eat. You know, the interesting thing about kids is it may seem like they're not engaged. It may seem like they're bored. Can we go inside? It's hot. You know, the first time, second time, third time. But, you know, it's it's something that even they're going to start coming back and asking if yeah. if they can expect to do this at Farmer Greg's, if they can expect to do this at Grandpa's when they come over. You'd be surprised just how much of they think about that mm-hmm. when they're not doing mm-hmm. it. And and all these little things that you think that we're doing to teach our, our next generation or our kids that they're not paying attention, you know, <laughs> to, to, to use a attention. horrible pun, uh, for the, not a horrible pun, but... <laughs> Uh, a typical, you know, plant the seed and it'll grow. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. You may not think it's going to grow. You may not think, but all of a sudden you're going to come back one day and boom, where, there. where'd this tree come from? Right, exactly. Exactly. So on my schedule for this segment, I always have a big old long paper schedule that I bring so that I have plenty to talk about. But there's really a, a really important component that we have to touch on. Okay. And that is what is healthy soil. So there's five components of healthy soil. And if you go to urbanfarmpodcast.com and type in soil at the top, there are some amazing soil scientists that I've had on my podcast. One of the, Elaine Ingham is one of the 
most nationally known, renowned soil scientists, go listen to her podcast. She goes in deep about what healthy soil is. But I'm going to boil it down really simply. There's five components. You want to take a guess? I know. Five components of a healthy soil. Yeah. Uh, Water. Absolutely. They need moisture in the soil. Yep. Uh, Like bugs. Earthworms. Everything uh, that's alive in the soil. That's one of the more important things. Uh, That's two. Uh, Compost. Organic matter. Okay. Exactly. So that can be in the form of woody mulch all the way to compost and planting mix and everything in between. Does temperature have anything to do with it? We talked about it in the earlier segments. Temperature doesn't, although high temperatures can kill your soil. All right. Help me out here. So let's see here. Uh, organic matter, everything that's alive in the soil, water, airspace. Okay. So there, you know, and and one, I'll, well, I'll talk about weeds here in a little while. Uh, and one air, could argue that temperature could go into airspace because can, when we're absolutely. trying to insulate, outsulate our homes, we're creating airspace. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and dirt, and what you have in your yard is dirt, most likely. So let me just re- review that real quickly. So uh, healthy soil is a combination, the right combination of dirt. Airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. And the way to fix it is add organic matter. In most cases, if you go in and put in four, six, eight inches of compost, organic matter, into your, you know, into your yard, that's going to start building healthy soil pretty quickly. And what is organic matter? Ah, good question. And so, how much? And how much? <laughs> well, uh, so I don't think you can add, especially in the desert, I don't think you can add too much. Emily Rocky down at uh, uh, Tanks Green Stuff down in Tucson, they make my Farmer Greg's planting mix that we uh, that we sell, and you can get it at uh, Summer Winds and some of the Ace Hardwares and some of the True Value Hardwares now. Nice. Um, she says there's less than 1% organic matter in desert soils. Which is why if you go look into an undeveloped area, uh, if it doesn't have a wash where mm-hmm. you get moisture and you get sand and you've got organic, more organic matter that just comes down, uh, even if it's not flowing, uh-huh. there's still underground water and it'll flood season around. But you go into a flat area, the only thing growing is creosote. Yeah, <laughs> there's not much growing there. Exactly. Exactly. So um, what you want to put in your gardens is compost or planting mix. You never want to add woody mulch in your gardens. Woody mulch is for the basins around your trees and your walkways. One of the things that I encourage people to do is add, if you have a dirt backyard, right now today, go out and get a foot of woody mulch to put in your backyard. And over the course of the next 12 to 18 months, that foot of woody mulch will break down to four to six inches of really healthy soil. Because what happens very quickly at that interface between the woody mulch and the dirt is it starts breaking down. And after about four to six months, if you dig down to the bottom part of the woody mulch, you're going to see some really nice, healthy soil. I've seen it over and over and over again. So one of the fastest fixes for a dirt backyard is to put six inches to 12 inches of woody mulch. And there's an app out there called chip drop and it plugs into, it plugs into the uh, tree services. Mm -hmm. You might want to ask John about this. I was going to say, this is a perfect, 
Eisenhower application. It absolutely is. Here's the thing. It will cost them up to four or $500 to dump that load of woody mulch that they just chipped at the at the landfill. Land, yeah. They want to give it to you. You just you just have to know that if you get a drop of woody mulch from a landscape service, it's going to be 20 to 30 cubic yards. That is a pile eight feet wide, six feet tall, and 20 to 30 feet long. So it's a lot of woody mulch. So if you're going to, you know, if you have a big backyard, you want to cover it, you know, that's the way to go. Um, so that's or a couple neighbors. You know, woody mulch, the nice thing about it is yep. it's not like a mason. When you're trying to mix your mortar mix, mm-hmm. you know, that that's a workout. Moving chips of wood one shovel at a time, it's, piece it's not that hard. Yeah, it's not that hard. <laughs> and, it, you know, it'll hold moisture. It builds healthy soil. It insulates the soil to a certain extent. Um, it's just it's a really good thing. Much better than gravel. Much better than gravel. And like you said, we'll start creating that organic soil that solves yep. or is a contributor to the other four important parts of, of your healthy soil. Exactly. Woody Mulch. What's that website again? Uh, I, I think chip, it's Chip Drop. App, you mean, right? It's an app, but it's also a website. Oh, Chipdrop.in, I think, is where they're at. But yeah. if you just type in Chip Drop to Google, it'll come up. Okay. Well, we'll have that uh, direct link after the break, just for anybody that doesn't want to take the time to do that Google. Okay. And, uh, or is it in a place where you can Google? If you're driving, we'll Google it for you. Yeah. Got weeds? Well, Bonide's got an answer for you. That's people and pet safe if you're looking for an organic way to burn out your weeds. And I'm not talking about with a blowtorch. I'm talking about with burnout weed and grass killer. It's a liquid application from Bonide. It's either a spray out of the bottle. You can get a 1.3 gallon sprayer. Or if you've got a lot of weeds like I'm fighting with, you can get their 2.5 gallon concentrate that'll make you up to 8 gallons of weed killer. Not only is it safe, but it's fast acting. You'll see results within 24 hours and you can apply it to anything. Burnout can be used any place you can get a liquid application onto it. Bonide products are family made in America and you can find them all over the state at Treeland Nursery in Mesa, Summerwinds Nursery in Phoenix, or Mesquite Valley Growers in Tucson. Bonide products are family made in America. You can also find a local retailer near you at bonide.com. Shall I do a rooster? <laughs> Getchipdrop.com. Greg, you should have told me off air because we could have made our own local one and <laughs> yeah, acted like go. we had this great, brilliant idea that yeah, we're bringing go. to our listeners. This is pretty smart. I have not done requesting an order yet. Uh-huh. You signed up. I did sign up, and then I had to verify via email. Then I had to verify my phone with a mm-hmm. text. And it seems like a lot of pain in the neck, and people hate giving out that kind of information. I get it. I do, too. They're delivering chips from an arborist to you. Yep. They don't need to be kind of jerked around and uh, i can't work guys uh, but uh, i'm Chip getting drop is handling all that yes a lot of that which yeah is so really cool. they're eliminating personal requests because they say right up front you won't get noticed uh prior to delivery just the day that it's coming you mm-hmm. know they, they don't know when they're going to be done on the job site right, exactly uh wood chips will contain leaves and pine needles in them you could tell that's not an arizona-based statement <laughs> there right. may be some exceptions here some, or yep, there exactly but each delivery is 20 cubic yards. 
in a yard is three by three. So it's three, three by three by, by three. three by three. Yep. Times that by twenty. Yep. So this is it's this a is lot big. of material. Yes. Uh, if you request logs, they will be very large. Uh, you'll need splitting tools and chainsaws required. So for our northern Arizona listeners, good firewood supply. We cannot move or remove materials once after it's delivered. Yeah. So basically, agree. basically what this uh, application does is it uh, coordinates with you and the wood tree guys, the wood chippers, mm-hmm. to drop you know, basically raw wood on your property. I want to actually spend a little bit of time, some caveats of buying soil. I get a lot of questions about this. Where do I get healthy soil at? And for your garden, it's it's really important to know a couple of things. When you're adding healthy soil to your garden, you want to make sure that you're not bringing in dirt and sand because often what some of the vendors will do out there that are making soil for your garden is they add sand because it's cheap and they add dirt. And the thing is, you have plenty of sand and dirt most likely at your house. (laughs) You don't need to be hauling that. That's a number one thing when buying soil is ask how much dirt and sand they put in there. And if they put some in there, keep looking. You can always shoot me an email at greg at urbanfarm.org, and I have some suggestions for you on where to get healthy soil at. The other thing, the difference between compost and mulch, there's one or two vendors here in town that will sell you what they call compost, but when it gets to you, it's mulch. And here's how to tell the difference. If you grab a handful of what they're trying to sell you, and you look at that handful of stuff, and there's more than about five to 10% of material in there that you can recognize, that's mulch. You know, especially if it's 30 or 40 or 50% and you're looking in there and there's leaves and sticks and that kind of stuff in there, that's mulch. That's for your pathways and around your trees. You do not want to put that in your gardens. So the stuff that you're putting in your gardens, you want to grab a handful of it. It needs to be 95 plus percent broken down compost sometimes in the mixes like in farmer greg's planting mix one of the things that we added in there is perlite there's cocoa peat in there which is the ground up coconut husks there's composted pine bark and compost in the farmer greg's planting mix it's great for gardens remember the big caveat is you don't want to have them haul dirt and sand in you've got plenty of that and if you grab a handful of it and you can recognize more than about five to eight percent of what's in there that's mulch it's not compost it does not go in your garden here's what happens if you put something that's more mulch like in your garden and try and grow vegetables in it it takes nitrogen to break down those sticks and leaves and stuff it swipes it from your plants and so the people that use the materials that is more mulch-like, it'll be two to three to four years before it breaks down so that you can grow vegetables in it. That's my tirade about <laughs> healthy soil. And there are organizations here in town that build soil products that are more mulch-like, and they will sell them to you as soil products. So you have to do your work. And I have to be honest. I, I I heard that. I don't know that I retained all of that just mm-hmm. because I was finishing my trip order, my oh, chip yes. order. Chip order, yes. Uh, I'm really curious to see if, if they're going to end up showing up out in unincorporated Whitman, Arizona. Yep. But uh, definitely inside the urban uh, or a, a municipality, I would think you'd have a lot better chance. Did you mention planting food calendar? Yeah, we haven't talked about the planting calendar Tell me about, yet. Okay, I didn't think so, but I wasn't a 
I didn't want to <laughs> say something and have you look at me like, well, I just finished saying that, Naomi. <laughs> <laughs> so um, at one of the most important things about growing your garden is planting at the right time. So this time of year, if you're in a nursery, and I say this all the time, you can go into most big box stores and some nurseries and they will sell you plants that are not season compatible. Go to plantingcalendar.org for a free planting calendar for the low desert. And if you're up in, you know, northern Arizona, find, you know, get the Master Gardener's planting calendar. Really important to make sure that you know what to plant when. And urbanfarm.org for uh, all this information that we've talked about and more. You've got yep. a huge amount of resources, additional huge. podcasts twice a week. If yep. Yep. This, uh, this one isn't enough for you, you can get this podcast if you missed something. rosieonthehouse.com slash radio. Gary will get that up. A little bit later today, if you're already subscribing to our iTunes podcast, you'll get a push notification if your nice. notifications are turned on. Or you can go on to our website, and from there it can go to Podbean. Because iTunes only has about the last 20 uh, broad, uh, podcasts. Actually, you can set it up for 300. But 300. Well, our Podbean has 1,500 podcasts. Oh, nice. Nice. Thank you for having me. I love coming and chatting with you about desert gardening. Farmer Greg, always a pleasure.